Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you again for the privilege we have to come together to worship you, to praise you, and now to be in your word. I pray that you would grant me the ability and strength to share your word exactly as you desire and that we would respond in a way that is pleasing to you, that you would use your word mightily in your people, Lord God, so that your people would glorify you. So we thank you for this morning, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, when you think about it, there is uh, much to worry about, isn't there? There's a lot to worry about, right? There are so many circumstances, so many unknown variables, uh, so many things that could happen. Uh, the reality is this life is not constant. And certainly the unbelieving world has much to worry about uh, because, you know, we can't control this life. Uh, we can't control our circumstances. Uh, and yet the one with Christ understands that he is in control. But yet we at times... Uh, for lack of a better word, forget, in a sense, practically speaking, that he's in control, and we take these things upon ourselves. You know, worry and anxiety are part and parcel for those who don't know Christ, but yet we, as believers, that shouldn't be our life, but sometimes it is, isn't it? We're all tempted to worry. We're all tempted to uh, fret, whatever it might be, when circumstances go certain ways or situations go certain ways. But as we're going to see... This is not the way it should be. And yet, as we as believers are trusting the Lord, the world and Satan offer their tantalizing solutions to our uh, worry problem or anxiety problem. But uh, what is God's solution to anxiety? What is it? Let's turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 7. And we have come to a portion in our study in Colossians, in which we are commanded to let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. We're to be having his peace umpire our every actions and reactions. It is to rule our hearts. And this week, as I was uh, sick and saying, what am I going to do on Sunday? How am I going to prepare for this? How am I just trusted the Lord? And really, he put on my heart that I should share this in preparation for what we'll see uh, in Colossians where we are to have his peace rule our hearts and we're to have his word dwell richly. And so with that in mind, as we look at the book of Philippians, turn there with me, Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. I want to share some of the context and then we'll get into the meat of this passage. Paul is writing to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. He is writing uh, to believers in Philippi from Rome, which he is uh, in prison. He's under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard 24-7. This is one of the four prison epistles, most likely written around 62 A.D. Now, the Philippian church and the Apostle Paul were very close to one another. And in chapter 1, Paul has already prayed for them and shared his love for the Philippians. And he was thankful for God's past work in them and knew that he would complete the work that he had begun. And we see the Apostle Paul share his circumstances that he was imprisoned, but the gospel was not imprisoned. He was in prison, but the gospel wasn't. And we saw his attitude to live as Christ and to die as gain. And that he understood in everything, whether in life or death, he desired that Christ would be magnified. And it's at this point the Apostle Paul turns to the Philippians' attitudes. They were to be united. They were to be humble. They were to be like Jesus Christ. They were to have the mind of Christ. And after giving the perfect example of humility, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, we see that Christ was exalted to his rightful place again as Lord of all. And because Christ is Lord of all, Paul gives this command, therefore obediently work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you. God's working in you, so work it out. Obey. Then we saw the first command after working in our salvation, to not be complaining or arguing, right? That's the big scourge upon uh, believers, complaining and arguing. We're to, we're to be those who are lights in the world. We're to be those uh, who, who reflect the character of Christ, not the character of non-believers. And then Paul gave three selfless examples, including himself, who, of those who were working out their salvation in fear and trembling, himself, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. 
And then beginning in chapter 3, he began to share the warnings of those who would appear to be following the Lord, but leading people astray. Those who were false, uh, those who worship in the flesh, glory in self and rely on their own flesh. That they would, we would face opposition. There are make-believers out there. And with this in mind, we were commanded and motivated to imitate Paul, to press forward to the upward call, becoming like Christ, knowing that we are not like the many who set their mind on the earthly things, but we have a heavenly citizenship. Therefore, we need to press on to the upward call. And then Paul summed up these truths in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And then from this point, he gives some direct exhortations that reveal threats to standing firm in the Lord. One is conflict between believers. He addresses uh, Syndicate and Udia, Udia and Syndicate, who are at odds with each other. And he, he exhorts them to be same-minded, to have the mind of Christ, uh, to be in obedience to his word, thinking of others as more important than themselves. And we were exhorted the same way. And the body was commanded to come alongside these women and help them. And then he moves to the final obstacles to faith in him and standing firm, which is worry, which is anxiety, which is the opposite of faith. And we all worry. We all are tempted to. We've all fallen in it. And we're all tempted each day maybe for some things to happen to worry about those things. But we're going to see from Scripture how we can overcome worry. You know, the world has its solution. The world has its solution. And, and they say, if, if you have anxiety problems, this is what you need to do. But God tells us in his word very clearly about anxiety. And when he tells us, it is his solution that we need to abide by and obey. Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I'll say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a tremendous passage. What a tremendous portion of Scripture. You know, the world is looking for peace. They're looking for peace within uh, the nations. They're looking for peace within relationships. They're looking for internal peace. But as Isaiah says, my God says, no peace. there's no peace for the wicked. There's no true peace apart from a reconciliation with the living God in which we have peace, and then that peace coming through as we abide and rely on him. And so then we have this passage here. Now, how can we stop worrying? Practically speaking, God gives us the answer. God gives us the answer. Notice, first of all, we need to be joyful in the Lord. Now, this is not a phony joy. This is not a phony, baloney, emotional joy that comes through just a living it up or whatever it might be. He says, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice. Now, this word translated rejoice in the beginning of the end of this word is, is an imperative command. It's a command for us to rejoice in the Lord. You all, and actually, you, know, you don't see this in, in, the, in the Greek, but the Greek is kind of southern. It says, you all, literally, it says, you all rejoice in the Lord. That's literally what it says. And he says, again, I will say rejoice. Now, again, this command, I believe, flows forward and backwards. You see, if you're not rejoicing, conflict's just around the corner, just like Udia and Syndicate. If you're not rejoicing in the Lord, it also flows forward. If you're not rejoicing, you're going to be worrying, I believe. One of the keys to not worrying is, first of all, having your attitudes right. Seeing the seeing situations properly. Seeing what's going on in the context of your relationship with the Lord properly. So he says here, keep on rejoicing. You can say, y'all, keep on rejoicing in the Lord. And again, I say, keep on rejoicing. That's literally the tense it's in. Now you say, wait a second. I saw this command earlier. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, we know that these Philippians were suffering, that God had ordained, chapter 1, that they would suffer. The same as we know as believers, we're going to suffer for following Christ. Not only do we have the daily trials of the daily issues that we have to deal with, you're going to suffer if you follow Christ. So we know things were not perfectly peachy for these Philippians. 
We know that, right? And so Paul says rejoice, but how is it we can rejoice? Notice what he says here. Keep on rejoicing in the Lord. You see, the Lord is our source of true joy. Nehemiah would say the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let me share some verses. And actually, I'm going to start in the Psalms. Go through a few verses in the Psalms. And I'm going to start and roll through this, but Psalm 511. But let those who take refuge in thee be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. You know, when you take your refuge in the Lord, he's a strong tower, the righteous run in are safe. When you, when he is your refuge and strength, then rejoice. He is your refuge. Trust in the Lord. Be glad. Psalm 1611, in thy presence is fullness of joy. You know, we live in a period of sorrow and, and, and evil. Even the perfect uh, Son of God uh, taken on human flesh in the midst of his sinful creation that had fallen. He made them perfect, but they fell in sin. The perfect Lamb of God, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief from one whom hid their face. Sin brings sorrow. Now, he didn't sin, but other people sin. A sinful world. Grief. But here he says, in the presence in thy presence, David writes, is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. You know, think of that fullness of joy. We, we have joy that happens every once in a certain situation. We get happy and things are good and maybe sad when they're not. But joy, we see, is connected to the Lord. We know in Psalm 32, when David sinned, he talked about how his body wasted away when he didn't confess, when he was deceitful about it. When he was deceitful about it. But then he shares later on in Psalm 32, many are the sorrows, verse 10, of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Be glad. We should be the most joyous people. I'm not saying fake joy, phony joy. There's a lot of phony joy out there. I'm talking about real joy, where we think of it, but we have to think about those things. Our mind needs to be set on who the Lord is, and what he's done for us. If you're not thinking about what God has saved you from, you're not thinking about what he has done for you and what he's going to do for you, what he's promised, you're not going to be joyful. You've got to be thinking about those things. Psalm 43, verse 3, Oh, send out thy light and thy truth and lead me. Hey, Lord God, lead me, right? Let them bring me to thy holy hill and thy dwelling places, and then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. It's the living God that brings joy. He's our joy, right? Psalm 51, David talks about it, his, his, uh, his being purified and wash me, Lord God. And he says, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. There's joy in salvation. There's joy in salvation when you see and remember what God has done for you in Christ. When you remember that you have been forgiven all your sins and not one is held against you. When you remember that he bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to him, that because of his death and burial and resurrection, we have eternal life. Because of all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Christ. Tremendous realities. Psalm 71, verse 23, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to thee, and my soul which thou hast redeemed. And one last one, Psalm 95, O come and let us sing for joy, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. So then we see joy is summed up in the person of Christ and what he has done for us. And when our eyes get off him and onto ourselves, joy has gone. If you focus on yourself long enough, you're going to be pretty depressed. Because, you know, you may be able to exalt yourself for a while, but you're going to see yourself rightly. It's not, it's not a good thing apart from God. We need to focus on the Lord. Focus on the Lord. And we also see that our joy is gone when sin gets in the way. Because when we sin, our relationship with the Lord is broken effectively. We're not separated from him. Nothing can separate us. But our, our, our walk is broken with him. It's, it's, it's One uh, pastor writes, um, now he again refers to that which is much in his heart, as he would have the saints rejoicing in the Lord. And joy and holiness are inseparable. A holy Christian is able to rejoice even when passing through the deepest afflictions. But a believer through unwatchfulness who has permitted himself to fall into unholy ways 
loses the joy of the Lord, which is the strength of those who walk in communion with him. I'd agree with that. So then, we're to rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. We're to rejoice in the person and work of Christ as it has been applied on our behalf. Praise the Lord for what he has done, the rock of our salvation. So as we keep on rejoicing, we see the focus of that joy is keeping our hearts and focus and mind on Christ, fixing our eyes on Jesus. You see, true joy is not circumstance-related, although we can have joy from circumstance. We can praise God for what he's done. We do. But joy is an indicator of where your relationship is with Christ, like a thermometer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So then, we're to rejoice in the Lord. If you've got a bad, stinky attitude about life, about situations in your life, oh, this went bad, ah, oh, this went bad, ah, oh, this went bad, ah, ah, well, you've got a stinky attitude, you're not going to uh, be able to be delivered from worry, by the way. Worry's just right around the corner. Conflict's just right around the corner. You need to go, okay, you need to see things rightly. Okay, these things are happening, but Lord, I trust you to help me. I know that you're good. You saved me from my sins. I'm such a wretch, but you saved me. You love me. I'm on my way to glory. Thank you, Lord. So we're commanded to rejoice in the Lord. So first of all, to deliver, be delivered from anxiety, first of all, we need to be joyful in the Lord. Secondly, we need to rest in the Lord. Seems so obvious. We need to trust in the Lord. Look at verse 5. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. At this point, we're given two commands that will enable us to find peace in the Lord. And the first one is to yield. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Interesting command. Now, the NSB puts the word spirit in there. It's in italics. They're saying we believe this is a way to help translate it so you understand it better. But this word forbearance is an interesting word. It speaks of a gentle reasonableness. But we sure don't see that these days. Our, our society is full of unreasonable people. We don't see gentle reasonableness very often, do we? It speaks of a gentle yielding. It speaks of the willingness to yield and show consideration and gentleness and kindness to others. And that's in the context in the face of unfavorable circumstances or situations. You know, it's easy to yield when things are not bad, but when things are unfavorable, it's much more difficult. Now, this word speaks of the character of Christ. We know that Paul said, I urge you by the meekness of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, by his meekness. It reveals his character. We know from um, James 3, verse 17, that this characteristic is a characteristic of his wisdom. But first, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle. God's wisdom is gentle. So the command here is let your forbearing spirit, your, your gentle reasonableness, be made known to all men, which is kind of interesting because it's actually in a um, passive voice. What does that mean? That means you're not actively to let it be known. You're not to try to make your reasonableness known to people. You're not, that's, you can't do that, right? It's saying allow it to happen. You see, when we rely on Christ and trust in him, then that reasonless will be manifest in our lives. See, because he says the Lord is near. The Lord is near. That's the key. That's the key, how we're able to allow this to be manifest. Let your forbearing, this gentle, reasonable spirit be known to all men. Let everybody see it. Don't let everybody see you get angry and that stuff. We're to set that aside, right? Like a rotten garment, like we saw last time. We're to put on Christ, right? Now this word, the Lord is near, is interesting. The term near here, agus in Greek, speaks of at hand. The Lord is at hand. 
The words used to speak of the word being near us, Romans 10.8, the word is near you, it's at hand, it's in your mouth, in your heart. Now salvation, Romans 13.11, is nearer to us than when we believe it's at hand. Revelation talks about the time is near of the coming of Christ. And so what does he mean here, that the Lord is near? Well, it's two possibilities. One, his coming is near, it's at hand. His coming to make things right, and we know that's true. But we also know he's at hand, he's here. He's with us. You see, and when you recognize in every circumstance the Lord is going to take care of it, he's going to take care of things that are you're wronged. If you're wronged, he's going to vindicate you. He's going to take care of every circumstance. doesn't mean we don't speak up rightly at the right time. We see the Lord Jesus perfectly doing that. We see other times where he's quiet. But what we see here is that if you recognize he is near, you don't need to defend yourself. You don't need to pull and grab to your rights. And I, I got to do this, I got to do this. You trust the Lord. He's near. I'm not saying you were Mr. Marshmallow or whatever it is. We need to be strong in the Lord. Act like men, 1 Corinthians 6 to 10. I'm not, that's for men, obviously. But uh, um, the reality is we're to be gentle. We're to allow that gentleness to be manifest because we know he's taking care of everything. He's near. You don't need to deal with it. He will deal with those things. You know, when you're falsely accused, and that's going to happen, you don't need to defend yourself. Isaiah 54, verse 17, No weapon that's formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication comes from me, declares the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean there's an appropriate time to say, no, that's not true. I appeal to Caesar. What did Paul say? I appeal to Caesar, right? But he recognized, as we see here, as the scriptures reveal, that the Lord's near. You don't need to uh, be unreasonable and act in those situations in a way that is ungodly. The Lord's near. The Lord's near. Let your sweet reasonableness be manifest because he's near. You see, often when we are treated badly or certain situations come up, we're trying to hold on to our rights or whatever it is, guess what? That just feeds right into worry. That just feeds right into it. So then let this gentle yieldedness, the character of Christ, be manifest to all because the Lord is near. That means we've got to be thinking about it. When those situations come upon us, I've got to think about the Lord is near. He's going to take care of this. Lord God, please help me in this situation. Help me to respond rightly. Help me to do what you would have me to do. And Lord, I know you're going to take care of it. I know you're going to take care of it. You might remember this wonderful passage, Isaiah 41.10. I lived on this verse for a while, and I hope we hope, need to still live on it. It says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. A promise. Don't fear, don't anxiously look about. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to help you. Therefore, you don't have to react to those things. You can allow him to take care of it. He is near. He is near. Don't try to yield. Don't try to be sweet. Recognize the Lord is near. Fear him, trust him, obey him, and what will be manifest to others is a sweet reasonableness. So then, we see that we are to rejoice always. We are to allow his character be manifest in us as we trust him because he's near and then notice concerning worry where he hits it dead on here he says be anxious for six for nothing but in everything <coughs> but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known to god made known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now just think about that for a minute. The world has its its uh, ways to deal with sin. The world has its ways. And if you were to go to a doctor today and say, I am very anxious, I am paralyzed by it, the world's way to take care of that would be medication, whatever it might be. Now, God's Word doesn't deal with a lot of medical things. God's Word doesn't deal with that. You know, it doesn't say, hey, if you have a broken arm, here's what you need to do. God's Word deals with our relationship with Him, deals with our hearts and our minds. 
And so here, when it comes to anxiety, God deals with the issue of faith. He deals with what's really behind it. And so we as believers need to grasp onto God's solution rather than the world's ways. So here, as we're going to see, worry is actually a pretty serious sin. Indeed, it's at the root, at its root is a lack of trust and a forgetfulness of God's goodness. And how often worry causes divisions, fights, conflicts. Uh, when we worry, we can't trust. When we worry, we can't be joyful. When we worry, we can't worship. When we worry, we have no peace. Worry is a very cruel taskmaster. And maybe some of you are caught up in that. We all have been. We all get caught up. We all are tempted. It's a cruel taskmaster. And you see, sin controls us, and it brings forth death. And with all sin, it cuts off our fellowship with the Lord. And folks, when we worry, it carries with it a lot of other sins. Why? Because it attacks the core of our relationship, which is faith. You see, when worry is present, faith and peace are not. When faith is not present, we are open uh, and huge targets for the evil one. No wonder Paul comes down so hard on this sin here in this passage. You see, worry also completely deflates our witness and testimony. It makes us no different than the world. It makes us no different than the world. But God is gracious, and God is kind, and he is good, and he looks out for our best interests. And as a loving father would come along a son in whom he deeply loved, God commands us not to worry, but to pray instead. You see, if you're a warrior and you're a believer, you've fallen into that, God hasn't given up on you. He wants to set you free. He wants to set you free. God is gracious. He's good, and he looks out for us. So don't let this passage leave you with a guilt trip. If you go out of here and say, oh, I'm such a warrior, so oh, you know what, that's just a self-focus. We need to leave after hearing this with a thankfulness for God's love for us and helping us understand how we can be set free. So notice, he says here, be anxious for nothing. Well, what are we anxious about? We worry about the future. We worry about finances. We worry about our physical condition. We worry about our friends, our family, our work, vacation, safety, ministry, church, what people might think, and that's the worst one, by the way. When you worry what people think, that's a snare. The fear of man brings a snare. We need to worry what God thinks, in a sense. Be concerned, as we'll say. So first of all, he says, be anxious for nothing. Now, we don't need to be Greek scholars to figure this out. It says in Greek, be anxious for nothing. And each one of us understand what worry is, right? We all understand that. It's a strong emotion that not only affects our minds, but it affects us physically. David made it clear that his sin affected him physically. And you know, when everyone will say, the world will say, well, you've got an imbalance of these chemicals and that. Yeah, you probably do. Because sin affects our bodies. It does affect us. We see that. As I mentioned before, God doesn't address other physical things. He addresses worry here because it's of the mind. It's of the mind. So he says here, there is not one thing that's emphatic that we are to be anxious about. Be anxious, it's emphatic, for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Does this mean we ignore reality? We ignore sickness and trials as if they don't exist? Absolutely not. This word translated anxious can be translated care, concern, worry, or anxiety. In a positive context, there's nothing wrong with a biblical concern for the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul said that there was no one other than Timothy, back in chapter 2, who would have a genuine concern. Same word translated here, be anxious for nothing. A genuine concern for the, for the, for these Philippians welfare. You see, worry is different than a biblical concern of, of, of love. So you say, can I be anxious about my physical condition? No. Can I be anxious about money? No. Can I be anxious about my job? No. Can I be anxious about the church? No. Can I be concerned? Certainly to depend upon the Lord in those things, absolutely, but anxious, no. What about that plane flight? Should I be anxious? We could all die, right? 
No, we're not to be anxious. But we recognize when these feelings come upon us, they're impossible for us to stop. We need to actually do what God says in his power. Otherwise, we will be bound to them. It's impossible. You see, as we go about his business, not our own foolishness, we are to worry about nothing because the Lord is near, he's in control, and we can go to him, and we are in him. We're not to worry about anything. And when we worry, just confess it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, because you're going to fall. Another pastor writes, do you ever find yourself worrying? Do you know that scripture calls worry a sin? When you realize that you're worrying, did you go to God and confess it as a sin? Worry is just as much a sin as adultery, murder, theft, yet we often as believers treat it lightly when our stomachs are tied in knots because we worried ourselves into a nervous frenzy. We don't realize that we've fallen into sin. And I agree with that. Turn to Matthew 6. We read this earlier, but turn there, Matthew 6. We see based on God's loving care for us in the smallest things, we should not worry about anything. And that means i got to think about that. I've got to think about that. I've got to think about God's care for me. I've got to look at the birds. I've got to look at the lilies. I've got to think about it. Jesus tells us to do that. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And by the way, everything we usually worry about could be resolved on a temporal basis with money in our minds, we would think sometimes, right? Sometimes, but it's not true. It's not true. You cannot serve God and mammon. For this reason, this is the Lord Jesus saying, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or as to what you shall drink, nor for your body to what, as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? you got to think that. God cares for you so much more than the birds, and he takes care of them. Why do we worry then? Why would we worry? He goes on. And which of you, being anxious, can add a single cubit to his life, his own lifespan? Does anxiety make your life live longer? Not, not at all. And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say even that even Solomon in his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so raised the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown to the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men? And here's the issue about worry little faith be anxious then do not be anxious then excuse me saying what shall we eat what shall we wear with what shall we clothe ourselves for all these things the gentiles eagerly seek for your heavenly father knows that you need these things just pray about these things as we'll see he knows you need it you got to go do this you got to do that don't worry about it he knows he knows but notice what he says but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You seek first Christ and his kingdom. You seek his righteousness, and he's going to take care of everything. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We're not to worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing. There is no area that we are allowed in the Lord to be anxious for because he is sovereign over everything. He can take care of everything, and he will if we trust him. But you say, what if I have a chemical imbalance? Well, God doesn't say be anxious for nothing except if you have a chemical imbalance. I'm talking about certain areas here. I'm not a doctor, as I'll share in a minute. You know that. This is not a physical issue in its core, although there are physical consequences to sin. There are definitely physical consequences. This is an issue of our thinking and our relationship with Jesus. Be anxious for nothing, no exemptions. So if we are worrying, we are sinning, if we're not trusting the Lord, that's the core issue. Just confess, Lord God, I'm sorry I'm not trusting you. Forgive me, please. But notice, we're not just to not worry. 
We're not just to not worry. We're to do something instead of worrying. Next time you are tempted to worry or you yield to it, confess it, and then notice what he says to do. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. It's not just saying everything you're tempted to worry about. It's saying everything. We should be living a life in which we are bringing everything before the Lord each day. We're interacting with him. We're trusting in him. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be known to the Lord. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Here's the antidote to worry. Obedient, humble prayer. That's the antidote. Prayer to a God who loves you so much he gave his son to die in your place. Prayer to a God in whom you can boldly come before his throne and receive grace and mercy in time of need. Prayer to a God who can sympathize with our weaknesses, having become like us yet without sin. He cares for you and I deeply. And we need to not worry. We need to go to him. It's a personal relationship. Yes, we do fall, but confess. We're commanded to not worry about anything, but pray about everything. And so the question will be, are we obeying that command? Can I think of things I've done this week where I was frustrated, worried, whatever it was, and I didn't confess that? Confess it. Situation in my life I wasn't trusting the Lord, I didn't pray about. So how is this done? How are we to do this? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Notice this, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. The term prayer, UK speaks of prayer in general. It's a petition to the Lord. It speaks of prayer. We, because of Christ, by his spirit now, can pray to the living God. He hears us. Supplication, the word, means a humble request. It's not a laundry list of, God, do this for me. It's a humble request. Oh, Lord God, I am concerned about this job interview. I'm concerned about this conversation with my relatives. I'm concerned about our finances. I'm concerned, oh, Lord God. I need you to help me, Lord God. A humble request. Bring it before the Lord. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to the Lord. You see, when you do that, you're going to find you're not going to be worrying. You're going to find you'll be trusting him, and you're going to have peace. Pray about everything. You're getting frustrated. You're starting to worry about something. Stop worrying. Take that very same thing and go to the Lord. And go to the Lord. Prayer and supplication. But guess what? You're going to have to humble yourself to do that. Because pride wants to hold on to it. We know from uh, 1 Peter 5, 6, Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. i got to humble myself. i got to let go of it, and i got to throw it on Christ. Lord God, I am concerned about this. I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned. And it's over and over again sometimes. I'm concerned, Lord God, but you're good. And you're above these things, and you love me. Help me through these things. You know, God will never let you down. You'll be amazed when you trust the Lord what he does. You'll be amazed when you trust him specifically about specific things in your life, what he does. You'll be giving him glory all the time. You see, humble prayer reveals dependence and a faith rather than a lack of faith and a lack of trust, which is bound up in anxiety. So we're to humbly pray, cast your cares upon him. And then secondly, notice we're to do this with thanksgiving. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's where we fail. We don't pray with a thankful heart. We say, Lord, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening, but we're not saying, thank you, Lord. I know this is happening, but I thank you that you are so good. I thank you that you're so kind. I thank you that you've done these things for me. I thank you that you'll take care of me. A thankfulness. A thankfulness. When we pray with a thankful heart, God changes things. When we have a different heart towards him, thanking him, you know, Again, we are to rejoice always. First Thessalonians five sixteen. Pray without ceasing, don't stop praying. In everything give thanks. 
Lord God, thank you for this circumstance. It is troubling me greatly, but I'm casting it on you. I don't know what to do. I don't know how it's going to be resolved, but I trust you. And I thank you that you're going to work it out. I thank you that you're faithful. From the littlest things, from getting documents taken care of, to whatever it might be, everything you go through in each day, every situation, large and small. Thankfulness is an evidence that you're in his will, by the way, being controlled by his spirit. We see that in Ephesians. So then don't be foolish, Ephesians 5.17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God. Always, always giving thanks. If you are not thankful to the Lord, I can guarantee you are a worrier. I can guarantee your life is bound and, and tied up in worry. But that can change. And you'll be set free and you'll be rejoicing. You'll be praising God. You know, a lack of thankfulness is an evidence that maybe you don't have a relationship with the Lord. Romans one twenty one: for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Also, a lack of thankfulness can be that we've forgotten what God has done for us. Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving. Sing thankfully, sing joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us, not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. Thank you for your love for me. Thank you for what you've done. Enter his gates and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. We're to be petitioning the Lord. Oh, Lord, okay, the situation's happening, Lord, but I thank you. I thank you. Petitioning the Lord in the context of thanksgiving rather than worrying. And then notice he says, making your request known. Let your request, end of verse 6, be made known to God. He wants us to give our requests. What's your request? Oh, Lord, God, help me with this circumstance. Oh, Lord, help me to respond rightly. Help me to understand what's going to happen. Protect me from this situation. Oh, Lord, give me the wisdom to, to, to make it through, whatever it is. Make your request known. You say, well, doesn't God already know what, he, what we're requesting? Yes, he knows before we ask, but this is a real relationship with the living God. Make your request known to him. You know, this is a wonderful verse, but I, I'm going to repeat it for you. King Asa, he uh, decided to trust the Lord, and God blessed him, and then he messed up. He was all messed up before, but then when he did trust, he trusted him, and then he messed up. He didn't trust the Lord. And in this rebuke, we have this statement. Second Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Your heart's not completely his when you're worrying, I'll tell you that right now. When you're trusting him, he wants to strongly support you. We're to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer, prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make our request be known. And then, guess what? There's a promise. We need to believe the promise. Look at verse 7. In the peace of God, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what we need. We need peace. That's what we need. This is a tremendous statement. The Lord is saying through his word that if you're not anxious, but instead prayer, humbly praying with thanksgiving, making your request known to God, then there's a promised result. Peace and a guarded heart. Isn't that what you need? That's what I need. He says, and this is not man's peace. Remember, Jesus said uh, uh, he doesn't give peace like the world, right? John 15. This is the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. This is not man's peace. Alcohol can't give you this peace. Medication can't give you this peace. This is peace from God. This is peace from God. Man's ways to take care of the problem, just medicate it. But the problem is still there. It's underneath. It's not being dealt with. 
This is a great promise. When we humbly, thankfully pray about everything, rather than worrying, then God will, God's peace will be given. He'll guard our hearts and minds. Notice he says, what surpasses all comprehension. It's beyond what you could think. You're thinking, wow, this is such a horrible situation. You're caught up in that worry. You have no idea what that peace is. You have no comprehension of what it will be if you trust him. It's beyond your comprehension. God's peace surpasses, hooper echo. It literally holds above, rises above anything you could comprehend. That's an amazing thing. This is a promise, too. If you do this, he promises to do this. This is a promise. It's a promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Fantastic promise. It's conditional. It's conditional. You worry, no, you sin, no peace. You confess your sin, you trust him, you bring your petitions before him with thanksgiving, and you will have peace. Isn't that what you need? That's what I need. And this word guard, it speaks of a garrison of soldiers. An armed military guard is going to guard your heart and mind. you got all these terrible thoughts coming in, but you got this guard of soldiers, right? Protecting your heart and mind, right? Let me share a couple of verses about trust, okay? This is in Psalm 4-5. I'll start here. Offer sacrifices of righteousness and trust the Lord. Trust Him about everything you got to do. Trust Him about everything you got to do tomorrow. Everything you got to do today. Trust Him about your relationships. Trust Him about your money. Trust Him about everything. Psalm 37-5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and also He will do it. Uh, and he will do it. Psalm 91, verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and fortress, my God whom I trust. You're not trusting when you're worrying. And God knows how how sin entangles us and we're prisoners to it. He'll set you free. He'll set you free. Psalm 115, O Israel, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Isaiah 26, 4, trust in the Lord forever. For in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. But by the way, there's some warnings to, that we shouldn't uh, not trust him. Isaiah 31.1, woe to those who go to Egypt for help, rely on horses, trust in chariots because they're many, and horsemen because they're very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Jeremiah 17.5, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Do not trust in man on how to deal with anxiety, trust in the Lord. And it's every other area, by the way. Oh, believer, why live in the wicked chains of worry, destroying your testimony? Humbly pray, thankfully, and God's peace will garrison your heart. It's all about a relationship with Christ. <laughs> Jesus said, peace I leave with you. John fourteen twenty seven. peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor be fearful. Now, as I've mentioned before, I'm, I'm just give one caveat. I am not a doctor or a psychiatrist. If you're on medication for anxiety and you're saying, man, i got to run out and stop, listen, you do that under a doctor's care. You don't do it because I said anything. You could go crazy or die. Those medications are extremely powerful. They're extremely powerful drugs. What I'm telling you is that if you're taking medication for anxiety, it's just addressing the symptom, not the cause. It's just addressing the symptom, not the cause. It's the world's solution, not Christ's solution. And it will give you the world's peace, but not the peace of God. God addresses this particular issue in his word, and therefore I'm declaring it to you. And the peace of God which surpasses comprehension shall all comprehension shall guard your hearts and minds of Christ Jesus. Pastor for many years now, and I've seen Quite a few people who've been on medication for anxiety and depression who went through the proper medical process to get off those things, doctor supervision, 
who started the hard work of the good fight of faith, renewing their minds with the word of God. And yes, they're still battling the good fight of faith, but it's the good fight of faith, not the uh, surrender to sin. They're trusting Christ and receiving his peace when they rely on him. Praise the Lord for that. And when others see the Lord working in your life, notice what will happen. Psalm 40, verse 3, And he put a new song in my mouth and a song of praise to my God, our God. Many will see and trust in the Lord. They're going to see it. In Christ we can have peace. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. Isaiah 26, 3. Now some of you might be saying, I still can't stop worrying. What do I do? Well, first of all, we need to recognize that if there's sin, i got to get rid of sin. I need to be reconciled if there's problems. I need to be rejoicing, right? Confessing sin and then trusting the Lord. So how is this all done? Lastly, I'm not going to teach this. I just want to read this really briefly in the next minute here. Look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any of excellence... Anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Well, when I was worrying, that was everything that was opposite of that, that my mind was dwelling on. Dwell on the things of Christ, the things that are worthy of praise. These things you have learned and received and heard of me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. So how can I, under, how can I overcome worry? Well, we've seen first of all, you need to be uh, need to be rejoiced in the Lord. Secondly, we need to rest in Him. He's near; He'll take care of everything. Cast your cares upon Him. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. There's some of you here that have never had peace because you don't know the Lord Jesus, and today you can have true, genuine peace. Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavily laden, and I'll give you rest. You can have that today. And some of you believers have yielded to this sin of worry. God's a good God. Confess it. He'll forgive you. You'll be forgiven. And move forward. Don't yield to that sin anymore. Don't yield to it. Trust the Lord. Give it over to him. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so good and so gracious and so kind. And I thank you for your love for us. You care for birds. You, you, you ordain the lilies, and yet we're worth so much more. And even your care is vast for that, those things. How much more for us? Father, I pray that if anyone here doesn't know you, that they would get real peace today. They believe in your son Jesus and be saved, Lord God, and have peace with you. And then for those of us who know you, may we not yield to this sin, Lord God. May we be anxious for nothing. But in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we would let our requests be known to you. And Lord, we know that your peace, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. May we be those who have a true peace because we trust in you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.